0: Until recently, in Christian countries, including most of Europe, the Bible described and circumscribed all of history. It began with the Word, proceeded through a long series of begats to the present, the beginning of things being pegged to the year 4004, before the birth of Christ. God had created the earth and everything upon it living and inert pretty much all at once and all living creatures the many species of animals and plants were immutable to think that something like a whole species could have gone extinct was taken as heretical insult to God's planning and execution of his plans to be sure there was a certain amount of murk in the earliest times. Since much of the then-current world had been rearranged from an earlier pre-flood world, the flood being the one which Noah and his ark survived, but later becoming several floods, but as late as the middle of the 19th century, a few geologists still attributed such phenomena as Huge round boulders, sitting totally out of place, high up in the Alps, to the propellant power of that great watery catastrophe. Rather than to the advance and retreat of glaciers, the major futures of the planet, to the extent they were studied and understood, were conceived to be the result of sudden catastrophes, for the most part, great floods. But by this time, the notion of so young an age for the world was, as specified by parsing the Bible, was beginning to come apart at the seams. An English geologist named James Hutton suggested toward the end of the 18th century that processes like erosion which were visible, visibly taking place in his time, had always been the prime forces shaping the earth. This came to be called uniformitarianism, and it was soon championed by Charles Lyell, an Englishman considered the true sire of modern geology, in his multi-volume tome published between 1831 and 1833. Principles of Geology By this time, woolly mammoths had already entered the scene. Dead ones, that is, fossils. As early as the 18th 18th century, fossil mammoth bones were a hot research topic, much as genes are today. By the close of that century, the great French naturalist Georges Cuvier, had positively and blasphemously identified them as the remains of extinct mammals. Thomas Jefferson apparently did not believe in animal extinction, and he instructed Lewis and Clark to look for live mammoth specimens out west during their famous expedition from St. Louis to the Pacific. Jefferson also was a bit miffed by European assertions that the New World's fauna was poorer and smaller than that of the Old World. Before too long, the idea that mammoths and some other beasts had become extinct became more palatable, but these extinctions had no doubt taken place well before the pre-Noah flood and therefore it was not possible that humans had lived alongside them. Then, in 1837, a French customs official and amateur naturalist, Boucher de Perthès, began turning up chipped flints he found associated with extinct animals, including mammoths, for the gravel beds near Abbeville in the Somme River. Even earlier in England, other naturalists had seen similar associations, but these were in caves, and the st- stratigraphy stratigraphy of caves was, at the time, considered impossible to sort out. Daperthes' assertions were greeted with de- derision. Until the site was visited in 1859 by a committee of distinguished English geologists who pronounced him right. Humans had indeed coexisted with mammoths. Regardless of geologian theologians' views on the subject, human prehistory had finally been discovered, located in the gravel beds of the Somme. At this point, a crucial assumption was made the geological association between the flint tools and the mammoth bones was taken as proof not only of contemporary contemporaneity contemporaneity but also that the mammoths had been slain by humans thus arose the nearly indelible picture of early man the mighty the mighty hunter from an error no first year statistics student would be allowed to make today. Correlation equals causation. One can show this fallacy by noting a correlation between more city streets being illuminated and a rise in street crime. Do streetlights cause crime? Of course not. In any event, the image of the woolly mammoth and the mighty hunter has been with us ever since. As Bjorn Korten, the great Finnish paleontologist of the Pleistocene, wrote, the mammoth became, quote, the embodiment of the Ice Age. Long may it live in our imagination, a black, Top-heavy shape looming up in the swirling snow, Ta- great tusks gleaming to our forefathers—perhaps a demigod. Unquote. More recently, French historian of science Claudine Cohen iterated the thought in her superb, superb book *The Fate of the Mammoth*. The mammoth, she wrote, quote, is a totem animal of vertebrate paleontology but it plays the same role in human prehistory. Hunters with the skill to bring down such enormous beasts standing some 14 feet at the shoulder would surely have has been have been talented enough to produce so much protein for their families that women and children would have played only a minor role in human evolution and the development of human culture. This was the prevailing view until quite recently, and it is no mere correlation that archaeology, for its first hundred or so years as a professional field, was essentially the exclusive province of males, just as so many other fields of endeavor were. As a matter of fact, signs that women played anything but a minor role in prehistory were hard to find in a field where the record illuminated, consists rather, the record consists of what often amount to mysterious, dead, silent scraps of any kind of evidence. Most of the artifacts that have come to us from the last ice age were made of stone and bone, materials that can exist in the ground for a long time. It's been presumed that stone and bone chopping tools, especially projectile points, were made and used by the most common, most supportive men. beyond that the remains of material use for the most part it is assumed by women such as willow for making baskets and cordage for making bags and other useful items our plant remains and therefore preservat- preservationally fragile Things made of plants do not last very long in the ground except in the most extraordinary circumstances, such as in extremely dry caves or submerged in anaerobic anaerobic bogs. They belong to a class of objects called perishables, which also includes leather, fur, and other organic materials. So mostly male archeologists found almost entirely stone tools and weapons and assumed that it was a man's world back in the Pleistocene and earlier. Women were largely ignored, not until there recently were some archeologists even trained to look for much else besides stone and bone tools, so they tended to miss. Yes. Not until recently were some archeologists even trained to look for so so much else. Women were largely ignored, not until recently were some archaeologists even trained to look for much else besides stone and bone tools. So they tended to miss or dismiss whatever evidence of the woman's role had survived. The bias was, in a sense, self-fulfilling, but it was more an unconscious bias than a deliberate and nasty plot against women. That scientists, like all other human beings, Our products of their times can hardly label it.